as we do pray for the world to turn, for things to change, we ask God to be a part of all of that. And I think we find that in our text today. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We will continue uh, through Advent to focus on the three gifts that the Magi brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And today we turn our attention to frankincense. And so we'll read that text first, but a little bit later on we'll also turn to Exodus 30, verses 34 through, 34 through 38. So if you want to uh, just find that one as well, so Matthew, New Testament, Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, uh, but also Genesis, Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible um, to hold on to just one of those mentions of frankincense as we turn our attention to that gift in particular today. Before we read God's word, before we attend to it together, we pray for God's Holy Spirit to be present and active, not only in the reading of the word, but also in how the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts through it. And so we'll pray for God's blessing upon the word, and then I'll read Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and at the end of that reading I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you, if grateful, to respond with, thanks be to God. So before we read together, let's pray. God, we pray for the world to turn in ways that are fitting to your kingdom purposes. We pray for all of the right changes to take place and to happen in our world. And right now we ask, may it start with us. May it start with us as we turn our minds towards the journey of the Magi, towards what it is that these wise men from afar brought to Jesus and the meaning of the gifts that they brought to him. And what does that teach us today? And so as we think about their commitment and their journey, as we reflect on the gold that we focused on last week that they brought to that little baby who was truly a royal king, as we turn our attention to frankincense, let us attend to Jesus as our great high priest. And so speak to us today, O God. Speak to us your truth, for we, your servants, listen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One thing that I have noticed about my children as they get older is that they do not share my love of fire. And maybe this is age appropriate at this point, being eight and six, uh, and yet, you know, I want to burn big brush piles with them, not like the ones that I had on the farm that were stacked by excavators, but I still want them to experience that euphoria of burning down a brush pile. In the spring, I always try to do more controlled burns in the woods back behind the ball diamond, which has kind of become a little, uh, little adventure land for the DeVries family. And I remember last year, as I started bending down with my lighter and lighting everything I could on fire, my daughter, who is very prudent and safety-minded, saying, Dad, do we have permission to do this? <laughs> well, I didn't put it to a vote to the consistory, but yes, we do. This is fine. And then, is this safe? is this okay? Dad, what if we burn the forest down? Now, of course, I'm looking around and I see lots of overgrowth and greenery and brush, and I'm like, it would take a lot of effort to actually burn this forest down. And I, that's not my intent either. But there's a safety uh, conscious mind that I'm glad that my children have. Although on my son's birthday, uh, I was reminded that, wow, you know, Ben is six years old now. And I know that when I was a six-year-old, one of the best days of my life was when my mom picked me up from kindergarten, uh, AM kindergarten, it wasn't full days back then, and said, Stephen, today I have a very special job for you. We're going to drive through that new field that we're farming, and I need you to lean out the window and light matches. And I got to participate as a six-year-old in a 130-acre controlled burn. So no wonder I like fire. And I'm trying to share that love with my kids, and I promise not to burn down the woods. But I am glad, even though I admit sometimes as a father I'm a little bit annoyed, like, come on, let's burn the things, let's light stuff on fire. I am glad, despite my annoyances, I am glad that they are erring to that side of error with fire. Because I'm glad that they are maybe a little bit more safety conscious, especially for the age that they are. Because there's two mistakes you can make with fire. One is to underestimate its power. And if you underestimate its power, there will be damage and there will be destruction and things will get out of control in a way that is not healthy for anyone and not what fire is meant for. That is a crucial error. But I think the other error that we can make with fire is to underappreciate it to the side of being so cautious that we don't use it well enough for everything that it's intended for. And in my mind, that means you're missing out on some joy and euphoria in life because it's fun, well, to play with fire, but to use fire and to use it well. Friends, I believe that fire can teach us an awful lot about prayer. And I think frankincense is a, a perfect example of how we avoid both errors with prayer. Consider that if we think prayer is somewhat whimsical, if we're very casual about it, if we underestimate prayer on that side of things, we might be underusing prayer. We might be holding ourselves back or we're forgetting who it is that we're praying to. Because what makes prayer powerful isn't what we're praying. It's not the words, but it's the reminder of who it is that we are offering our prayers to. And so on the one side, like a child who's afraid of fire, we can hold ourselves back. A little bit too much. We can underuse prayer. We can underpray. 
On the other side of error, though, is we can think that prayer is so scary and holy and mysterious that we hold ourselves back on the other end of things. That we say to ourselves, I don't really know how, I don't have the right words, I'm not sure how to engage in this, or it's so, so far beyond us that I'll listen to other people pray on Sunday, but that's about as far as we get. Now, these are obviously very far sides apart, and I think they're extremes. But those extremes do exist when we either forget that prayer can be as simple as saying, please, thank you, and I'm sorry. Those are three prayers all and of themselves. That can be prayer, and we remember who we're praying to. Prayer can be that simple and accessible. And also that we appreciate the grandiose nature by which we enter the throne room of God Almighty, that through the blood of Jesus, our prayers are heard, and that Jesus himself intercedes for us. That should not be lost on us either. How we relate to fire, how we relate to prayer, we can make the same errors on opposite sides. Over, overzealously afraid or too whimsically casual about it. Why does frankincense speak into this? Because frankincense was used a lot in temple worship. Frankincense accompanied many a prayer Frankincense was an expensive thing that was used to remind us that prayers are really important and that associating almost a costliness with the moments that we pray. Now, don't hear, the, don't hear what I'm not saying about the application of that. Costliness, is prayer important and significant? Yes, frankincense would teach you that, that when you went to the temple to offer your prayers, if you were going to use frankincense that you paid a lot for, that that was going to be an incredibly special moment. The frankincense was used to teach reverence. It wasn't used to teach us that we have to pay to pray. If it was used to teach us to pay to pray, then the Psalms, the original prayer book and hymn book of the Bible, then the Psalms would have dollar amounts associated with them. Are you hoping to pray Psalm 121 today? Pay $5. That's not the intent of using frankincense in worship. But wouldn't it create this holy moment if you had purchased frankincense, if you were going to bring it, if you were going to add it to, in as uh, Leviticus laws describe, if you're going to add it to one of your grain offerings, whether it be a sin offering or a petition, boy, you are focused in on that. There is no distraction anywhere else. What matters most is this moment where this frankincense is going to be poured in this offering and burned as a prayer to the Lord or the frankincense that you could use almost as just any other incense or burned over a candle that it could be offered up as a sweet aroma to the Lord. When you use those, you're on the side of remembering that prayer is incredibly special, that this is a holy moment that needs to be savored and cherished and completely zoned into. Frankincense is such a substance as this. If we, as we turn to Exodus 30, just for a moment, we have uh, one of the quintessential texts on frankincense in the Old Testament. Incense and frankincense show up throughout the law as we're instructed how to worship, how it's used in the temple. But here is one of the high uses of frankincense that tells us just what a big deal this stuff is. Exodus chapter 30, picking up at verse 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, anica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. 
Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Now hold on just for a minute. Do we catch where this is? Place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting. Meaning put this frankincense in the place where you should rightfully expect to encounter God. This is a holy moment and a holy place. It shall be most holy to you. And picking up at verse 37, do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance, just because it smells nice, must be cut off from their people. Friends, to be cut off from your people is not to be excluded or ostracized. It is actually to be killed. Frankincense used in this particular way, in this particular in this particular grouping, in that way, is holy to the Lord. Meaning this is a special moment because this is where we encounter God. Frankincense is a substance that we don't use other than maybe in essential oils today. And don't worry, it's not, as long as it's not this particular uh, arrangement mentioned in Exodus 30, I think you'll be okay. I think we have some pure frankincense somewhere for a uh, diffuser as well. But frankincense reminds us that these moments are holy. It was a regular thing to be used in temple worship and prayer. And yet, we should appreciate that 100%, but not think to ourselves, if we don't have frankincense or if we don't have all of this, if we can't do all of the steps, then we shouldn't pray. No, because that's where we are reminded of the other important piece of frankincense. And it is that the Magi brought frankincense to Jesus. Now, we could say, oh, did they really know all of this about the Old Testament law? Did they know how many grain offerings and sin offerings and prayers that it was used in? Once again, I err on the side of giving the Magi a lot of credit. These wise men didn't travel from a far-off country because it was, well, just a fun vacation. They traveled because they knew that they were coming to see the king of the Jews. The gold was given to one who would be king, and the frankincense was given to one who was a priest, and in fact is a divine priest. They give frankincense when they see Mary with Jesus. They give frankincense to Jesus, which to us should be a reminder and a teaching moment that we don't need frankincense to offer our prayers, though if it helps us be reverent and holy about it, great, but we don't need it because Jesus is our frankincense. The frankincense that was used to draw attention to our prayers, Jesus has already done that for us. We don't have to pay the price because Jesus has already paid it for us. We don't have to beg or hope that we are being listened to by God because God already hears our prayers because Jesus is interceding for us in the throne room of the Father of Heaven. And so as we remember the titles that we heard in our Advent wreath reading today, that he will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, King of Peace, Prince of Peace, Mighty Lord and Savior, Jesus is also our frankincense. And so as we pray, let's remember that it's worthy of our frankincense, that our prayers, our time of talking with God is holy time. It matters. It is sacred. It is a special conversation with God called prayer. It does matter that much. And also, because of what Jesus has done for us, because the Christ child was born into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, Prayer is always accessible to us. 
It's not something we have to wait to make a holy pilgrimage to do. It's not something that we have to wait to make the right, we have to buy the right stuff to do. Prayer is always available to us because Christ is near to us. God is with us. God is with us in all of our holy, reverent moments, and God is with us in every casual passing moment. Friends, as you think about how a child can underestimate or overestimate fire, let us as children of God not do the same with prayer. Not do the same with prayer. Don't underestimate or overestimate it. Don't treat it as a magic formula because it's not about our words. It is about who we're talking to. And also, don't underutilize it. Don't leave it off for special occasions or, well, when the moment is right. Prayer is to be a continuous offering that we give to God, a continuous conversation, because Jesus is our frankincense. Our great high priest has already paid the price for us to be heard, and we ought to just remember the value of it as valuable, more valuable than frankincense is our time of prayer. As I think about, well, fire and prayer, I wonder which side do you err on? Is it not praying enough or forgetting who it is that we're praying to, our wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace? Is it not the frequency or is it maybe the reverence that we lose? And more than anything, I wonder if this Advent we can especially attend to this. You know what you can use fire for? To burn things down. And I wonder if we could adopt that same mindset of the power of fire when it comes to prayer and how accessible it is for us. As we, hear, as we heard Jason share about Gateway Mission, all the barriers in life that can come up, don't we want those to be burned down? We want to continue to celebrate the work of mission, but also, wouldn't it be great if it wasn't necessary anymore? I mean, that's the hope, right, from any, from any group that sees all that is wrong with the world and for any of us to look in our vantage point and see what is wrong with the world and we can get cynical, we can lament, we can say that that's a horrible problem or that's somebody else's problem to deal with or we can seek in prayer to burn it down. What is it maybe about for some folks, it's the job that's stressing you out and you feel like you're on your way to an early grave or an early heart attack because of it. And you think about all the people that you have to deal with or the stresses and responsibilities. Maybe before we go to any other venue, we should first burn it down with prayer. And when I say burn it down, I don't mean commit arson at your place of work. I mean pray. Pray fully and deeply, remembering that your prayers are offered with Jesus interceding for you. That's who you're praying with and to, and that your prayers might be heard in that way burn it down. Pray through your workplace. Go through your day. Think of all the places that you go, all the people that you see, all the tasks either that you enjoy or despise, and burn them down with prayer. Offer so much prayer that it's like frankincense overwhelming the scent of the room. Think about the relationship. Maybe it's your marriage that has been hard and on the rocks, and you're kind of over it. And there's all kinds of different ways that we can approach that. But can we first burn it down with prayer? Can we pray with that kind of intensity? Can we think ahead to all of the things of the holidays that we'll go through and can we burn them down with prayer? Can we think about the places in the world that are at war 
And instead of the weapons of the world burning down buildings and crumbling structures and killing people and destroying families, might we first burn it down with prayer? And too often we can say, well, prayer is not an action step. It doesn't do anything. If we think that prayer isn't an action step or that it doesn't do anything, in that moment we are betraying the fact that we have forgotten who we are praying to. Prayer is not an excuse and it is not a way to get out of doing something because if you commit to talking to God about something, at some point or another, God's going to whisper back to you. We don't pray for the homeless and the hungry day after day without having God stir in our hearts, what is it that I can do about that? It becomes harder to pass by opportunities to do something about it when we have offered our, fr our frankincense prayers on the altar of God and that God speaks back to us and says, here's your moment. Our prayers are not an avoidance of action, and they are not a replacement for it. It is where it starts. Our January sermon series will be about uh, resilience and resolve. And so just a little preview is one of my favorite prayers from the Old Testament, though there's a lot of them, so maybe favorite's not the right word, but one of the really, really good ones is 2 Chronicles 20.12, where King Jehoshaphat sees the whole army. It would have taken a whole lot of time for them to get there, but now he's overwhelmed, he sees them, and he says, we are powerless, O Lord, against this great multitude. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, can we pray with resilience and resolve to say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about the situations in my life. I don't know what to do about all the problems in the world. I do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Except Jehoshaphat made a good prayer, but it was a last resort prayer. The army took time to get there. Why do we see him only praying now? Prayer is a great last resort when you're at your wit's end. But friends, if prayer is anything like frankincense, anything like fire, prayer is not only our last resort, it is also our first resort. Before we're at our wit's end and all seems lost, the praying should have started. We pray as our first resort right up until the very moment where it is our last resort. And as we pray, we remember that our words and our time with God is holy as if we were paying large sums of money to burn frankincense in the temple. That kind of holy. And also because of Jesus, our frankincense, who is given that providentially wise gift of frankincense, Jesus is our frankincense. The access to the throne room of God, where we can find grace and mercy in our time of need, as Hebrews tells us, is open to us. Not because we have to purchase frankincense, but because Jesus has already purchased an audience with God for us through his blood, through his resurrection, and this is our free gift. So friends, in the power of Christ, look out at all the problems in the world or in your own life and burn them down. Let's pray. God, we come to you to pray not as our last resort, but as our first resort. We come to you not casually, but out of reverence. We come to you not infrequently, but often, and with our hearts invested in what we pray about. And so God, hear our prayers. And as we pray, might we also hear our own prayers and ask ourselves, are we praying? Are we praying to you, Jesus? To the Lord Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. To that one who created our 
created our bodies, every fiber of our being that he knit together in our mother's womb, as Psalm 139 tells us. Jesus, help us to remember who it is that we're praying to and in whose name is the power of our prayers, both now and always. Amen.